0: chapman and it's my privilege to be the host of origins It is a forum where we take the evidence of science and we use it to validate the truth of creation what we believe about where we came from has a great deal to do with how we live our lives i think you're going to find this show to be very interesting it just may change the way you look at everything so be sure you join us this week
1: I win one.
2: from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who cannot watch the show live here on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. Give them a call, tell them to tune in. Of course, they can also go to hotm.tv And watch past shows. That's one of the websites we offer for you to be able to utilize the past 140, some odd, almost 150 shows, hour-long live call-in shows that we've done. Remember, our ministry has three websites for your benefit. We also have www.BornAgainMormon.com. There you can find out uh, what the history of our ministry is, offers for the book, lays forth what it means to us to be a born-again Mormon. And then you can also go to uh, www.calvarycampus.com, and uh, there that talks about the Bible studies that occur on the three major college universities here in Utah every Sunday, and uh, that's part of our ministry as well. By the way, you can download or listen to the audio version of every sermon we do at that Calvary campus by going to that same website. All right, this Friday night, uh, our annual Christmas Open House right here in the studio from 7 to 9 p.m., that's December 5th, this coming Friday from 7 to 9 p.m., join us for food and fun and friends and give us a chance to thank you for your viewership face-to-face. We hope to see you here. We've had a whole lot of people request information about the video clip we showed a few weeks back on our show Religion or Jesus. And it was the one where the uh, a black preacher uh, gave his sermon and they superimposed uh, images and music over it. And we bought that clip, the right to use that clip, and you can get it at Ignite Ministries, igniteministries.com. Uh, you can also go and watch the Jesus, the uh, Religion or Jesus show, and you can see it there. You can also go to YouTube and type in uh, My King, and you can find it there. Jay wrote some interesting stuff on LDS chutzpah. Uh, he brought this material to our attention. For instance, Jay wants to know why the LDS church excommunicated Chad Hardy, the guy who put that Return Missionaries calendar together, but it seemingly uh, fully supports Stephanie Meyer, who authored a book about a blood-sucking romance called Twilight. Uh, I want to know why the LDS are just flocking to see that movie. They had a thing on the news about it, just flocking to see Twilight, uh, all about this blood-sucking vampire, but they won't see Passion of the Christ. It's just absolutely amazing to me that this stuff goes on, please call and tell us if you're LDS why that is, why you want to go see Twilight about a vampire and uh, you refuse to see Passion of the Christ. Jay also pointed out that there was a there is a ban on tattoos at BYU, but their best basketball player a few years back had them and they let him play and attend BYU. They just airbrushed the tattoos out in his campus photographs and in the yearbook. It's all about image, 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 more on LDS Chutzpah there. Speaking of image control, in response to our Word of Wisdom shows a few weeks back, Mark called in and gave us some interesting information that that comes from History of the Church, LDS Church, Volume 6, in answer to people who say that Joseph Smith did not bring wine, History of the Church, Volume 7 reads that Joseph, quote, Joseph and Emma passed around the bowl of wine to others. I don't make this stuff up. We had people call and say Joseph would never have broken the word of wisdom. Absolutely did. Uh, speaking of wine, our researcher Rich took the time to take a close look at Marriott, Marriott Hotel's website. And found the following phrases that the Marriott Corporation uses to get people to want to stay at their hotels. Minutes to the wineries is one, adjacent to casinos, on site casino, mini bars in every room, and the Aruba property, the Aruba Marriott property, uh, the hotelier advertises an an adult's indulgences package. (laughs) Now, Can someone find out if Marriott Hotels is also willing to provide their guests with uh, gay porn as well? It would be interesting. Now, why would you say that's interesting? Why are you pushing this point, Mr. McCranny? Faithful viewer AAA out of Northern California and a very dedicated Latter-day Saint at the same time wrote to me and reminded me that Bill Marriott is currently a member of the LDS Quorum of the Seventy and part of an area presidency. Now this office of the LDS that they call the 70 is supposedly taken from the Bible, and it's in reference to when Jesus gathered 70 men, not not outside of the 12 apostles who he taught, but he took 70 men and he had them go out and teach and prepare kind of the way for him coming to new towns and stuff, and they went out two by two. So claiming to be the restored church, Mormonism claims to have a group of men called the Seventy. And although there are a number of quorums of the Seventy in the hierarchy of Mormonism, uh, these are the guys who kind of are referred to as the Brethren the Seventy and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency, this is what is collectively known in the Mormon Church as the Brethren. Well, Bill Marriott is one of the Seventy who takes his name after the select group of men that Jesus chose to go out and represent his Gospel. So while Jesus called simple, hardworking men to this service, do you think he would call a man who was known to supply the world with porn and alcohol and festivals for the LGBT to go out and do the same type of work? Just a question. Can't make this stuff up. Finally, Mary, among others, wrote to say that baptism of the dead is no big deal because it's a bogus practice, so why do we even worry about it? She suggests that in our worrying about it and mentioning it, that we're merely lending credence to the fear that the baptism for the dead the LDS perform in their temples might actually have some validity. I also received an email from Dinah who who sent this same letter to the Salt Lake Trib. It says in part, quote, I have grave concerns that my LDS son will perform this ordinance of baptism for the dead for my deceased son. I will consider it a mockery for my deceased to my deceased son's memory. As a biblical Christian, the Mormon gift of proxy baptism offends me as much as if they had handed me a lucky rabbit's foot. In the end, all these issues and stories merely evidence more of the existence of LDS chutzpah. The brash, unapologetic imposition of their will and their ways upon everybody else, no matter how they think or feel. Once a year, we take a minute of our time and make a public announcement about our ministry. We usually do this in December. We've done it for the past few years, so I'm going to do it quickly now. Our ministry is a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation. This means people who donate money or goods to us are able to deduct their contributions from personal taxes. Um, We use financial contributions to pay for our ministry's expenses. Because we're a television ministry, people are often under the impression that we are financially secure. Many people think that I am independently wealthy, or that we receive support from—we receive ample support from around the world. Uh, this is not so, and it has never been so. Our ministry is highly controversial. We, are greatly offend, we greatly offend Mormonism, obviously, but we also are attacked often by general Christian apologists and even sometimes the Christian community. Nevertheless, we have resisted the temptation to use our show to request for financial support as we firmly believe where God guides, God provides. Many people inquire about how they can give financial support. Each December, we let you know. If you are led or inclined by God to support our ministry financially, there are a number of avenues you can take. You can send your donation directly to us at Alethea Ministries at 314 South Redwood Road, Suite 200, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84104. You can also go online to bornagainmormon.com or hotm.com and offer support through a secure PayPal online system. Finally, we are also in a position and have received unwanted vehicles, some stocks, bonds, even real property because we are a 501c3. Email us uh, what the Lord has placed on your heart, if anything in this area. No compulsion uh, demanded or required, and we'll give you instructions on how to proceed. Please hear us clearly. While we are very grateful for all financial support and we thank you for it, we also are greatly appreciative of all the non-financial support so many of you have given this ministry over the years. Your prayers, your volunteerism, your taking the time to email us with important information, and your sharing our ministry with others have kept it going. Many lives Many hundreds of lives verifiable by emails and stories have been changed because of the ministry around the world, and we thank you for it. We praise God for you and all you've done as you continue to support Aletheia Ministries. Finally, I would like to take this time to personally ask you to be proactive in your support in one area of our ministry. If you watch and enjoy the programs and you attend a Christian church on a regular basis, we would like to ask you to please take the time to introduce our ministry to your pastor and or church board as a means to have us make a visit to your respective congregation to speak. Our church tours, which we've done, go a long way in introducing people to the true doctrinal Mormonism that's out there, and to also share methods of how to bring Latter-day Saints to the Lord and to resist listening to the things that they teach. You're bridging the gap between our ministry and your respective church is a win-win proposition for all involved. So please, we are actually in fact asking you to take a minute and if so inclined, speak with your pastor or your church leader about us coming out wherever you may be located And just have them email us, so they can email us at sean at hotm.tv. And with this, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you and we praise you for the airtime and uh, for the opportunity to talk about you relative to Mormonism. And uh, we pray that you will be with our audience here, our uh, audience, viewing audience, wherever they may be, our volunteers, the people who are operating the equipment here in studio, and that I will say the things that you want me to. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight is part two of the defense of the Bible. Last week we spoke about the Old Testament how it was revered, how it was used, how it was considered the word of God by the Jews and by Jesus himself. We spoke briefly about which books were considered canon, meaning the measuring tool of God's will in our lives, and how Jesus, the Jews, and the early church rejected the books known as the Apocryphal books, which were written during the 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, We also talked about how Catholicism retains those apocryphal books in their Bibles today. So Jesus, the Messiah, is then born in the meridian of time. The complete Old Testament points, pictures, and alludes to him, his life, his mission, his ministry, his death, and his Messiahship. All of the Old Testament was pointing to the birth and life ministry of Jesus the Christ. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called 12 apostles. He then proceeded to teach them and instruct them privately on who he is, what truth is, and what they are to do once he has left the earth. He tutors these 12 apostles firsthand as witnesses of him and his ministry. As his life is closing in toward the cross, Jesus says something to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says in verse 3, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. As his first-hand witnesses of his life and actions and everything else, Jesus said to them, You are now cleansed or clean from the false traditions and the religiosity of the rulers around you. You now have a renewed mind uh, through my word that I have given you. That's what he said. Prior to ascending into the heavens, Jesus told the disciples to wait for him at Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit would then come which would now be able to come because Jesus was going to leave them. He says, I'm going to leave, but I won't leave you alone. The Comforter I'm going to send and the Comforter will be here with you. And he told them, go to Jerusalem after I ascend and stay there until it comes. And we know it came in uh, the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit arrived and gave the apostles the strength and the insight to guide and lead the church. Luke tells us that he says, Luke is the author of Acts. He writes in Acts 1.1, Truly I made the, this first report, speaking of his gospel of Luke, as to all things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taking up, giving directions to those apostles whom he chose, commanding them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait the promise of the Father, but to await, excuse me, the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, remember that baptism that John did, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit would then help these apostles, these genuine, true, first-hand witnesses, lead and guide the church Jesus uh, effectively started on earth, and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church that they established. Part of the Holy Spirit's mission was to direct the writings that these 12 witnesses, or not all 12, but that the ones inspired by the Holy Ghost would write. The Holy Spirit was going to motivate them and get them to write by His power things that were going to be part of the Old Testament canon now called the new. Paul claimed that his teachings were from the inspiration of God. If you have a notepad or you can watch the show again, that's in 1 Corinthians 4:16, 1 Corinthians 14:37, 1 Thessalonians 2:13. John claimed the same for the book of Revelation in Revelation 1:2. Paul said that his writings were intended to be read in the churches, just like Scripture was read to the Jews, just like their authorized Word of God. He says that in Colossians 4.16, 1 Thessalonians 5.27, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Peter said that he wrote that the things he had written would remain after his departure. He says that in 2 Peter 1.15 and 2 Peter 3.1-2. Paul quoted the phrase that the servant is worthy of his hire in 1 Timothy 5.18. Now, this phrase is not found anywhere in the Bible except in Matthew and in Luke. And it's evidence that the gospel writings of Matthew and Luke were quoted and considered scripture by Paul when he quotes them, just like he would the, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. Peter even defines Paul's letters as Scripture in 2 Peter 3, 15, 16. So even the apostles amongst themselves are are saying that Peter was saying Paul's writings, Paul's letters are Scripture. And he says that, and I gave you the reference. Again, like we asked last week, why did Jesus go to the trouble of calling his personal witnesses, training them, cleansing them through his word, having them wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit, have them right by the power and influence of this Holy Spirit, only to have the validity of these words be challenged by Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian day, uh, Christian scientists, and I almost said Christian day scientists. And, uh, and Scientologists, and all the different ists and isms that will take the Word of God and say it's not reliable. Why does Jesus have go through all this trouble to do this? You know why. He did it because it's right. We're going to talk next week about how the New Testament books were gathered, chosen, compiled, And while the Old Testament books came forth from a very small geographic region, the Old Testament books from a very small area, it's interesting that the New Testament books came from a very big, broad area and from many different writers. Palestine, Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, all places where New Testament composition occurred were very, very far apart from each other. This plays directly into how long it took them to be gathered and used and collectively recognized as authentic holy writings of apostolic witnesses." Now, the earlier New Testaments varied in their content because only certain books were available to certain people in certain areas. So they would have the writings that were available to them in one area and they would use that as their testaments, while in another area, much far distant, would have different writings that they would use as their testaments. So while in one location like Palestine, it it might be reasonable to expect that they would have a copy of Matthew and James and Hebrews, churches in other places like Crete might only have had the book of Titus or the book of Romans. There were no trains, planes, and automobiles. There were no faxes. There were no delivery companies like UPS or FedEx to get these individual letters and inspirations recopied and delivered out to the people. Now, some people are somehow under the false impression that God operates like a thoroughly nasty business concern, like He's an efficiency expert, you know, totally lacking in human passion and using human art and human flexibility, but instead focusing on perfect production every single time and like it's like people expect that the New Testament came about by God having it all written at one sitting and then given to everybody and everybody had access to it God has never worked that way he works through us to have his will be made known and isn't this the way the New Testament isn't the way it came forward a beautiful example of a wonderful and diverse God that he operates this way faithfully patiently Persistently over great spans of time and through many different peoples from many varied and far off places, all writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit and all coming together in one cohesive whole in the end. That is a testimony to me of a true and living God. Well, as a result of time and distances, the books that actually belong in the New Testament were gathered. Over time, and they were sorted and they were sifted out from among others, some of those books were of great value and had a true apostolic authorship imprint upon them. They knew it came from this uh, writer, Peter or Paul or John. They knew it did. And then others, they were kind of questioning. They weren't so sure. One of the first considerations that they would use as kind of like a funnel to see if a book should be included in the New Testament was, does it have the apostolic stamp of a first-hand witness of Jesus? So I'm going to introduce that one to you tonight, and I want you to just imagine that there's a funnel, okay? And here's the funnel, and then you have the spout down here. And it's a screening, and, and what they do is they take all the books that were written and available through this giant Roman Empire, and maybe even elsewhere, and they throw them in. And the first thing that gets through the top layer of the funnel, the first filter of the funnel is, does it have the imprint of an apostolic writer, a true witness of Christ. And the books that don't, they don't go past that thresh. They don't go past the screen. The books that do, they move down. So I'm going to start introducing to you how they sorted through the different writings to finally come out through the end of the funnel with those that truly belong in the New Testament. This determining if it has the apostolic stamp was not an easy or quick thing to do, but ultimately it was accomplished. We do know from letters of early Christian believers that, they, that there were many writings considered to be apostolic in origin of being trustworthy and of being inspired. Clement of Rome in AD 95 either refers to or quotes from Matthew, Luke, Romans, First and 2 Corinthians, Hebrews, 1 Timothy, and 1 Peter. About 110 AD, Polycarp quotes Philippians, 9 of Paul's epistles, and from 1 Peter as well. Ignatius, Papias, the Shepherd of Hermas, and the Epistle of Barnabas all verify the apostolic writings as existing and authoritative during their time. A guy named Tatian, around 160 A.D., wrote a book called Diatessaron. I hope I pronounced that right, Robert. Which actually served as harmony of the four Gospels, showing that four and only four Gospels were recognized among the early church uh, fathers and leaders as being authoritative. Justin Martyr called the four Gospels and memoirs, he called them the memoirs of the apostles and said that they were read in conjunction in the churches with the writings of the prophets. So we can begin to see a distinction. The memoirs of the apostles, the four gospels, read in the churches with the writings of the prophets, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. It's interesting that these early church believers frequently refer to the various churches, churches, all around the land, which had different names and all certainly shared in unique approaches to life and living as a Christian. It's interesting that they would refer to churches with so many different names, and yet Mormonism today mocks the idea that there's so many different churches and they all have so many different names. There needs to be one church with one name. Of course, we know where that comes from. Even as heretics like Marcion and Basilides verify the same apostolic writings uh, they were heretics, but in their writings, they also verified the existence of the books that we have in the New Testament. Irenaeus, who was a pupil of Polycarp, one of the earliest believers, called these New Testament writings scripture. Interestingly enough, the New Testament writings were known as the Gospel and the Apostles while the Old Testament was still called the Law and the Prophets. So you begin to see how things start coming together and all the writings of the apostles were being done there. Now the question may come up, well, what did those people do who didn't have the Bible? Uh, I mean, you guys say the Bible is so important as a Christian. What did all those people do during those first several hundred years when the Bible hadn't been put together? What did they do? Well, they did a couple of things. One, God provided the Holy Spirit in abundance there to lead and guide them. Them. Two, they got into a lot of trouble without the written word. That's why we have the early church fathers, many of them saying and writing and even doing many things that were not part of the church. They were outside of biblical authority and when you start and God brought that back together when he brought his word fully to us. but until that time if they weren't relying on that, that abundance of the Holy Spirit then we did see problems begin to creep up and some of them even stayed. Along comes Origen. Origen is one of the guys who did so much, and he also did so much, a lot of bad stuff, because he started bringing in his own thoughts, but he tried. Uh, Origen of Alexandria, uh, circa 185 to 254 AD, was a Christian scholar. And in his personal writings, we have two-thirds of all the verses in the New Testament included just in his his personal journal writings. Two-thirds of the New Testament quoted verbatim just from his personal writings, so we know they were there. He readily accepted 27 books of the present-day New Testament as authoritative uh, apostolistically, but he was unsure about the authorship of Hebrews and he expressed doubts about James 2nd Peter and 1st and 2nd John. Okay? Admittedly and for a time there was some variation among the churches and the scholars about what writings were accepted in the New Testament and what writings were not acceptable in the New Testament. This was simply due to the fact that because communication was slow between them and it was such a vast big, huge Roman empire, they needed time to be able to get this stuff put together and decide really what was authoritative and what was not. That's not disparaging about the Bible. That's just a fact. When you come back, we're going to wrap it up and then go to the phones. Christian and Science Building at Utah State in Logan, room 202, also known as the Aggie Ice Cream Building, 725 North, 1200 East. And I remain at the University of Utah in the same location. Hi, welcome back. So we have the expanse of the Roman Empire. It's giant. In addition to 300 years of incessant persecution of the Christian church, there was never really one single chance... For all the believers, the gospel was spread out like mad, for all of those believers to bring the writings of the apostles together and to decide what, in a fair and reasonable study of them what was truly authoritative and apostolic in origin. Next week we're going to discuss when, uh, when a break from the persecution ceased and when the scripture burning ceased and when there was a door of opportunity for God's word, which had been used in the churches and recognized by so many, was able to be put together and stamped as this is authoritative, we're going to go with this version. We'll talk about that next week. Let's open up the phone lines, Eight zero one nine seven three tv 20 801 8820 Now listen, please uh, turn your TV sets down. Uh, listen to your phone. Don't watch the screen. My lips. There's a delay. And also, have a question. If you're LDS, we'd love to hear from you. First-time callers, if at all possible. And we, while we have people on the phones, they are. They're still. Uh, operators are still able to take some calls. So call in. And while we're doing that, I want to read a couple. Uh, emails. This is from Anthony. I'm a very active member of the LDS Church. I sh- saw your show a couple of times, and he goes on to say a bunch of stuff about how uh, the President Monson teaches truth. And he says, I'm a student at Utah State University studying mechanical engineering. I attend the local singles ward here. Everyone is invited. There is a member in our ward who previously was less active, but now he attends church. I've talked with him before, and he doesn't have the same beliefs as mainstream Mormonisms. In fact, his beliefs are very different. He has many tattoos on his arms and upper body. He isn't afraid of showing his arm tattoos during church. He is still invited. I'm not afraid to sit next to him, (laughs) he says. Also, he has made good friends with some girls in the ward who are returned missionaries who have very different values from each other. He has never felt unwelcomed among us. I have an attended institute, and he says, but they never pressure me. My point of all this is to express that it is not the doctrine of the church that causes these things to happen that I'm complaining about. It's the weaknesses, which I will include, include is pride, of the members that cause these things to happen. Anthony, you're a nice guy. You seem to be full of uh, love and things, but I want to tell you, it's the doctrine. And uh, the doctrine makes uh, many people creepy, and it makes them think they're superior. And it makes your experience with a tattoo die at a college institute, where if he was ever going to be uh, welcomed, it's going to be there in the Mormon church. But have him go to that. Have him go to a, a home ward with those same tattoos one Sunday and see how that goes over. Have him show up at the temple and see if he can get, a, you know, a recommend or something with that same type of attitude, not agreeing with Mormonism. You know, you paint a picture that seems so. You know, this is your experience and this is how you see it happening. But in reality, it is just not the the way it goes. The way it goes is they are exclusive. They are elitist. They are uh, our way or the highway in every single. thing. you do and it's all a result of their doctrine which they never change ever okay so we also had a girl named Tara who's 15 year old sophomore in high school she's a Christian she says she watches the show every week when she's not doing homework and whatnot and uh, she says she's not Mormon she's lived in Ogden where the population is high and life is rough Kids have stopped being my friend because I'm not Mormon and kids have tried to convert me to Mormonism. A lot of times I'm left out and singled out and very much judged. I just wanted to let you know that your show helps me every week to remember who I am. Thank you for helping me and my family realize the wrongness of Mormonism and goes on to say some other things. So, Tara, we congratulate you. You're a true warrior out there living in this state at a time of your life when you really, when friends are so important and must get lonely. But the Lord is with you. You keep praying to him, and thanks for writing us and talking to us about it. Uh, we have a bunch of other emails I'll get to if we can. We're going to go to Brittany and Holiday online, too. Brittany, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to call and say I love your television show. Thank you. Welcome. And also, my friend is moving to St. George. I wonder
2: does TV 20 come in there? Uh, you know what? We have to, uh, we're working on getting some connections with St. George, but our signal doesn't go down there. But in time, with prayers like yours, maybe we'll be able to do it.
3: Okay, awesome. Hey, thank you. And, yes. hi, one more question. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, on the commercial that
2: you're playing for the break, who's the guy on your left? Uh, what am I in the commercial?
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: he's the, on your left.
2: The guy on my left, that's uh, that's Marcus Maher, a handsome debonair young man who uh, who is a uh, associate pastor uh, here in the whole ministry. Why, you think he's kinda cute? A little bit. <laughs> yes, Marcus! Marcus, finally, all these years in Utah, one person finds he's cute. No, I'm kidding. All right, we'll pass that on to him.
3: Okay, one last question. What size T-shirt do you wear?
2: Uh, Depends on how fat I am in the year. Uh, (laughs) Usually it's a double X. I've gone up to five X. I've been down to, yeah, usually it's like a double X or an X. Why, you got one for me? Or is it for Marcus?
3: No, it's for you. It's a present.
2: Awesome. Thanks for calling.
3: Thank
2: you, Sam. Bye. Bye. All right, we are going to Jim in American Fork. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Jim. This is Sean. It is. Yeah,
4: this is uh, Jim in American Fork. Um, uh, My wife and I met you down at Jim's family restaurant in American Fork on the last pasture in the pub. Awesome. And I wanted to thank you so much for the uh, abandoned ship. That, That is fantastic.
2: Awesome. So, did you abandon ship?
4: Uh, I had done it uh, before I talked to you uh, oh.
2: down there about it. Oh, were you the one who uh, gave me the idea that it needs to happen? Yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, Jim Jim is the one. I think we mentioned the, the show after I met Jim that I had always been of the opinion, ah, so what, You know, stay on the rolls, it doesn't really matter, but Jim opened my eyes to it. And I think it's been a great success. We usually get at least one, sometimes five, emails a week of people who have who have abandoned ship, Jim.
4: I, I think it's fantastic. I really appreciated that. Oh. Uh, what I was calling about is one of the things about the Bible. In the New Testament, it's written in Greek.
2: Uh-huh.
4: And Alexander the Great took the five city-states and created one one country, one nation. Okay. And he also created the Koine uh, Greek mm-hmm. and that Greek carried all through the, the known world of the time could had been written in some other language it wouldn't have spread the way it did uh. but it is also so precise uh, one of the things that the Mormons use is that the, Jesus went down and preached to the uh, to the, those in the spirit prison yeah the the word in Greek is never used for people, spirits, to the spirits in prison. That word never applies to people. Mm. And that shows why that isn't even uh, a possibility. This was the fallen angels from the time of Noah,
3: Mm.
4: that Jesus went down, and the word wasn't preached. It was uh, proclaimed.
2: Excellent. Great insights. I really appreciate that. All right. Keep keep bringing him, Jim. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. We're going to Yvonne in Layton. Yvonne, you're on heart of the matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Yvonne.
3: Hey, listen. I uh, dropped. Out of, I abandoned ship about a year and a half ago. I only went to church about three years, and I kept wondering what was the matter with me. Yeah. That. Um, I wasn't getting the answer. Well, nothing was mad with me. I got my answer. It was no. Right. Uh, I recently went to church with some family. um, And while I was there, they sang hi to Kolob. And it said hi to Kolob, where the gods began, uppercase G, plural. Wow. And I was wondering if you could possibly explain to me what, where, or what, in, in or out of this world Kolob is.
2: Well, um, I thought for a second you were going to ask me if I could sing, if I could hide a Kolob, and I I can't remember this. No, uh, you know, this is strange because most people believe, and I could be wrong here, most people believe that Kolob is the place where God lives, that Joseph Smith said is the place where God lives. But actually, I believe that it's actually, Joseph Smith said, it's the planet closest to where God lives, lives, and he named it Kolob. So, um, you know, it it just cracks me up actually, and I can't believe that there are adult people sitting there singing. If we could climb up, if we could fly to Kolob, I mean, it just blows my mind. What did you think when you were singing it, or when you were reading it?
3: I I really couldn't believe it. <laughs> I know
2: it's amazing. It's just amazing, and yet, until you step back and you look at it from the outside, like Einstein says, you know, if you're part of the problem, you're never going to see it. It's only when you step back outside of it and look at it that you can realize that it's a problem. I mean, that's when Haida becomes absurd. I'm sorry if I'm picking on you, Latter-day Saints, but I know that there are so many of you sitting there agreeing with me, <laughs> you well, know. Well, this
3: is uppercase G, plural.
2: Talking so, about gods. So
3: that more than
2: one god. Oh yeah, they absolutely are polytheistic. They are in the heart of hearts, and the only time that they are not is when they are publicly speaking, like Bob Millet uh, uh, from BYU, on the uh, official doctrine of the church is not gods. We believe it's ball. They believe in gods. They believe they're going to become a god. It's even in their hymn book, Gods. Mingling with gods, Joseph plans for his brethren. They are polytheistic all the way through.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Great comment, though. Thank you for the call.
3: Okay, thank you.
2: Okay, Yvonne, bye. We're going to David in Salt Lake City. I think uh, David. David in Salt Lake City. David, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, David, you're on the air.
5: Oh, you startled me. How are you doing, Sean?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
5: I'm doing well. Um, I just wanted to say I like your show. Uh, I've been on the air before. Yes. Uh, I noticed you have a bad religion shirt on. Is yeah. That, is that what that is?
2: Yes, it is.
5: Are they against Jesus? I don't know if I should listen to them or.
2: There, I uh. They're against all bad religion. So am I. And they interpret anything that is uh, not true as bad religion, whether it be government, religion, anything. And uh, they're highly controversial. And yeah, I'm sure there are atheists uh, in their band membership. Uh, I like uh, some of the music. I'm a fan of what they represent relative to religion. And I think that the title of the band really is perfect for the show. That we, yeah. talk, we talk about bad religion all the time.
5: You should change the name of your show to Bad Religion, maybe. Good
2: idea, but I think we'd have a, we'd have a copyright problem.
5: Oh, uh, I'm sure you could talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another question that I had was, uh, are you concerned that the president doesn't have uh, faith in God? Do you think that is going to affect us for the negative in any way?
2: Are you talking about uh, the President Obama?
5: Uh, yes. The president President-elect? President-elect? Yes. Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm not going to speak about Obama uh, directly because I get in trouble. uh, I've mentioned this before. I get in trouble when I talk about Oh, I'm sorry. But let me tell you this. I really don't care. I know that everybody else does, and I know Christians, this is one reason Christians get mad. You know what? God is in charge. I put my faith and trust in him, and Obama's in office for a reason, and if he leads us down to uh, bloody rivers or he exalts us to great economic power, I don't care either way. Yeah. Either way, it's cool. Yeah. My, my God is Jesus, and whatever happens here, so be it. Anything yeah. else? Anything else, David? Um,
5: I had some friends that were recently married in the temple.
2: That's very unusual. Yes.
5: And uh, they left because they were a little upset or scared. Yeah. Um, have you heard of? They wouldn't really tell me anything because they take an oath or something. Yeah. But do you have any idea?
2: Oh, I have a lot of ideas. Uh, I went through there myself, but I went through it at a time when you actually showed how your life was going to be taken if you revealed the secrets that you took. And so it was a lot scarier when I went through. This is a wimpish Mormon generation that's leaving now. They're, they've taken away all the scary stuff. No, there is stuff in there that is just disturbing. And it really is what defines it as the C word, the cult, which we don't use very often here, but it's really yeah. what makes it cultic.
5: Is there anything about uh, aliens or Satan in there?
2: Uh, Satan's in there, yeah. Satan's in their film, and he does a lot of talking to the audience. And, uh, and Satan in, does? Satan does, yeah. He talks to the audience. Uh, They watch a film. You're in there, and you're watching a film, and Satan talks to you. And and in the past, there may be many LDS who don't remember this, but when I was going through, uh, Satan was a buddy with a Protestant minister. And Satan employed the Protestant minister to mislead everybody. So, you know, the emails I get... The
5: minister met Satan?
2: Yeah, the the minister and Satan are like buddies in the movie, you know, and they're, they're... Oh, in the movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Not in not in Scripture or anything. All right, man. Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah. God bless you.
5: God bless, Sean. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: That was an interesting call. We got Wayne, Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Wayne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean. Hello, Wayne. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Excellent.
6: A question. Yes. I have been told that Christ was the last of the biblical prophets, and... People can prophesy after that, but they're not on a biblical basis. That when the temple, the veil in the temple was rent, that that was the end of the prophets. Is that true? And if so, where can I prove it biblically?
2: Uh, biblically, Jesus is referred to as a prophet in a few places. I don't have the references with me. Uh, probably more to the point would be when Jesus said all the law was fulfilled in uh, John all the law and the prophets was fulfilled in John uh, speaking of the Baptist okay. uh, uh, but there are references that call Jesus the pro- uh, a prophet and uh, since he died and said it is finished I think we're talking about that, that, that office being closed up completely even, maybe even more specifically and I'm shady on this someone else can call and correct me but, you know, the heavens were silent uh, after Malachi and the intertestamentary period of 400 years. And after that, um, it's because of the birth of Christ and the spirit that came and the opening up of, uh, of uh, prophecy. But it is all prophecy that f- is fulfilled within the apostolic uh, writings. There's nothing extra biblical in the prophecies if somebody's been blessed with the gift of prophecy. So uh, there is a difference between the office of prophet, with the, which the LDS try to claim. They still maintain because God talked to Moses, and he would talk to us the same way, and it's just not true. And all you got to do is read Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, if you're talking to somebody, and it talks about how God in the past talked to uh, uh, people through the prophets, but today he speaks to us through his son. Another thing you might bring up to somebody talking about that is why on earth do you need a prophet when the Holy Spirit came uh, at the day of Pentecost and fills the heart of regenerated believers? There's no need for it. Where before the Holy Spirit uh, wasn't here permanently living in the hearts of believers because of sin.
6: Okay, I think that uh, does it very well. i got another thing, John, if you've got a minute. Yeah. Last Sunday I saw an explanation of the use of Xmas, we've always been told in years gone by that, that was taking Christ out of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And this explanation, and I wish I could get a copy of it and get it to you, but it takes it backwards through the early English and the old English to the Greek. And if you look at the Greek word for Christ,
2: Oh, yeah. Starts with an X. Yeah, I've heard that before. Okay. Hey, thanks for that information, Wayne. I really appreciate it. Share it with you. Thank you. God bless you, man. God bless you. Bye bye. Bye. We're going to Tyson, first time caller in Sandy. Tyson, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. uh, Good evening. Good evening. Um,
1: I have a scripture to read to you. A scripture? Yes. Where's it from? Uh, Moana. That's Uh, not a scripture. Moroni chapter 30, uh, in t- yeah, Moroni chapter 10, verse 30,
2: Tyson? And, it's,
1: and again, I would exhort you that you would come unto Christ, and lay hold upon every good gift, and touch not the evil gift, nor the unclean thing, and... I think that scripture is saying that scripture is saying that um, um, Christ is real and He uh, He lives, and uh, um, it's saying that um, we should all come unto Christ yeah. and um, and be Christ-like. And
2: Tyson, Tyson. And, the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith came from a Christian family and he authored a book that attempted to be as Christian as he could make it in a different uh, cultural setting. The book may say things and talk about Jesus and Christ and, and amidst all of its difficulties and problems, but the problem is, is when a Mormon says, come unto Christ, what does that mean, Tyson? What exactly does that mean in its fullness? And what it means is not the way a Christian would say, come unto Christ, which is by faith and faith alone that Jesus Christ comes and he saves us. He is the savior. To a Latter-day Saint, coming unto Christ means, yes, you receive him, you accept him as the savior for his atonement. But then you also must do these things in order to be okay with Christ. Those things that are added on have nothing to do with biblical Christianity, Tyson. So you've called the show and you've read me one verse from a book and you called it scripture and it speaks about Jesus and you think that that is evidence that Mormonism is on the right track. You can read about Jesus in the Koran, too. You can read about Jesus in, in the uh, Urantia book. You can so it's, because he's mentioned doesn't make it Christian. You understand Jesus talked a lot about counterfeits. He talked a lot a lot about people coming in his name and a lot about people who had said that they are Christ and all the and so we have to be very careful. He wouldn't have warned us about all these counterfeits if they weren't going to be there. And you, what you're representing to me, my friend, is a counterfeit.
1: Okay. Um well, I have a um testimony that uh, Jesus does live and I do too um, and I have a testimony that if we are all Christ-like and if we are like and if we um, love everyone then I have a testimony that we will be able to see Christ after we die and um, I have a testimony that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints
2: is a true church. I know you do, Tyson. And And I pray God's grace will pour out upon you as you uh, walk seeking Him, my friend. And I am not ever one to say who is going to heaven as individuals and who is not. Uh, I love your heart, Tyson, but doctrinally what the Mormon Church teaches is not from the Bible and it's not from Jesus, it's from Joseph.
1: Um, We believe in the King James version of the Bible also.
2: Yeah, You're a very sweet man. I want you to have a good night and a a Merry Merry Christmas, okay?
1: And you too and uh, I'm going to keep you in your prayers.
2: Thank you so much. In my
1: prayers. Thank you
2: Tyson. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay, we are going to Brian in West Valley. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Brian. Hello? You're on the air, my friend.
0: Oh, okay. I'm kind of behind. <laughs> Hold on, let me turn that way
2: to You're on the air, man. Turn
0: okay. My... Uh, I'm right. just going to mention something about baptism, about the fire baptism. Okay. It's not mentioned. Um, uh, sorry, I'm...
2: Are you listening to the TV? Or are nope, you eating freedom.'s I gotta got
0: turn down. I'm just trying to catch up with myself. All right, catch <laughs> up with it. Hurry it up. All right. Um, fire baptism is uh, something that's done in throughout the prisons, or uh, and juvenile uh, uh, lockup and all that. A lot, people, a lot of people don't know about it, but uh, that's that's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh,
2: Did you I say it's mean, done in prisons?
0: Yeah, it's done out in the prisons and uh, locked up facilities and all that. But I just wanted to let everybody know that it's real, the fire baptism is real and it does exist. And uh, it's hot, but that's all I got for now, buddy.
2: All right, man, carry on. All right, I'll see you soon. All right, bye. All right, don't smoke pot before you call the show. I've told you that once before. And no freedoms. We're going to Tammy. Tammy, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, son.
2: Hi, how are you?
3: I'm good. So I have a question for you regarding abandoning ship. Yes. Um. You baptized me at Burning Heart this summer. Awesome. And um, I'm just now getting around to writing my letter. Uh-huh. And I have two little boys who are too young. They were never baptized. So I'm wondering, do I need to include them in my letter?
2: Is your uh, husband LDS? Uh,
3: ex-husband? Uh, ex-husband, yeah. is
2: <laughs> Yeah, I would include them too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you know that when you send the letter, uh, they're going to probably send it back and say it's going to your bishop, and your bishop will contact you, even though it's not your bishop. Somebody from that geographical area will contact you about it.
3: Okay, that's another question. My last bishop is in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Should I send a letter to him in Louisiana and to um, the records here in Salt
2: Lake? Uh, you probably want to send it to the records just for simplicity's sake because he's not your bishop in Louisiana anymore. Your bishop is who you, the area you reside in geographically. It's some man out there where you live. And he'll have the letter you send to Salt Lake forwarded to him, and then he'll take care of it. The reason they do that is so that he can be aware of who is a member and who is not, and, uh, and uh, they can withhold their kindness from you geographically uh, if they're aware that you've left the rules. I'm kidding about that, but in some cases, I'm not. All right?
3: Okay, thank you. Hey, good to
2: hear from you. Thanks, Tammy. Bye. Bye. We're going to Jenny in South Ogden. Jenny.
3: There we are. Um, I just had a comment and a question. Okay. My comment was I actually talked to a gentleman about Kolob, and he was saying that it was their belief because there's a scripture that talks about the thousand years of our time is comparable to God's one day. Yeah. I mean, and so they, he said that Kolob is so huge that it takes a thousand rotations, a thousand years of us versus one day on Kolob.
2: Awesome.
3: And then it's also it's in their book of Abraham and stuff, and so that's why they think it's in the Bible.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's in the book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price, it's in the Bible too. It's got to be. Uh, yeah. They have a cocal beam. I know Joseph talked about cocal beam. And a number of other very unique words that, that describe these interplanetary places, but yeah, great comment. I've heard that before. That you're on that big planet, and God. You know, it takes so long for His revolutions to go around. It's a full, full uh, year.
3: Yeah, and then I just have a question. Yeah. Um, as far as like, I find myself getting into a lot of conversations with uh, members that like haven't gone their whole life from uh-huh. when they're time they're a child or whatever. And they're not um, Mormon, per se, but they're also Mormon enough that they're afraid to read the Bible yeah. and look into a different direction. They believe in God, but they're afraid because of they think there's so many translations. What's a quick uh, uh, thing to let them know that it's not? I, I don't know quite how to respond to that with yeah.
2: somebody. Yeah. Uh, there's a few good books, uh, Evidence Demands a Verdict. I would suggest you read it, not give it to them because they won't, probably won't, but you'll uh, bone up quickly on where the Bible came from and why it is trustworthy. And then uh, you can start quoting things about the importance of God's Word. And But I would really more go to, don't worry about whether you trust the Bible or not. Let's just talk about your relationship to Jesus and use the Lord as the introduction to kind of break down and forget the religion, forget Mormonism, if they're right or wrong, but just who is Jesus to them and see if that will open it up. No, that's great. Also, also recommend that they read just the Gospel of John, just to try that, pray, and talk to the Lord about their relationship with him. We are completely out of time, Jenny. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks. We'll see you next week here at Heart of the Matter. Come to the come to the party.
1: my rustic cage and run The
4: in this thing.